Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often a hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Isaac Perez Moncho, an engineering manager at Fresher. Isaac first became a manager at Reuters and has since held engineering management positions at Growth Street and Lending Works. Our conversation touches on the signs and dangers of being too comfortable, and Isaac tells me in detail about the technique of pre-mortems for risk minimization. We discuss how sport, like meditation, can be a means of developing self-knowledge, as well as examining how much we can ever really know about a company before joining them. Throughout our conversation, the theme of jumping into what Isaac calls the crazy pool, the unknown realm beyond our comfort zone, recurs. We learn how Isaac applies this metaphor to his own life and his biggest move from engineering into management. If your wife tells you to go and uh, jump in the crazy pool or perhaps notices that you are jumping in the crazy yeah. pool, when when was the first time that you jumped in the crazy pool and what happened? Um, Management-wise um, or career-wise, I think it was when I decided to be a manager and I thought, this is going to be easy. <laughs> I, just, I, I think that's going to be uh, the path I want to take doesn't seem that difficult. I'm just going to put my hand up and uh, go for it. And I think to compensate jumping in the crazy pool, what I do is try to over-prepare, which is kind of conflictive because I say yes, then when I'm in the situation, I'll say, okay, I need to read all the management books I can find and like join all the forums that I can find and like talk to everyone I can find. Uh, but that that first time when I said, yeah, I can do this. Looks easy. Um, and the manager at the time agreed. And um was pretty much a disaster <laughs> the, the first time. I it was not easy. Um so yeah, that was the that was the first time that that I said career-wise I'll jump to the real crazy pool. I think coming to the UK may have been the first one, but I don't see that much of a risk. If because you're... If you're you're a, a logical thinker uh and someone who deals in details and yet the the piece of advice you hold closest to your heart when you're allocating the most important thing to you which is your time is just do it just jump in the crazy pool why yeah. why is that so powerful for you i think um it's because you can overthink and if you don't do it, you either won't do what, what you want to do or you will get stuck in your comfort zone and you may tend to over-prepare. And that I've seen as an engineer and like as a person, sometimes we try to pre over-prepare a lot before we say yes, and then you delay the, the start of whatever you want to do. 
And that means that you're not learning, you're maybe preparing for things that don't matter that much, and you may not even do it. Because you may say, oh, I'm still not ready, I'm still not ready, I'm still not ready. And three years later, you're still not ready. But, or you think you were not ready, but you were actually ready to start. So I think it's kind of creating the environment, which is something I believe in. It's, I create the environment for myself to move forward. And sometimes that's like, I'll say yes and figure it out after. How do you know when you're getting to the point where you're going to want to make that jump? And how do you feel that you're t getting too far into your own comfort zone? When I'm getting bored, usually it's a sign. If I do the same things in the same way and I feel that, yeah, it's not challenging anymore and I can not pay that much attention. Um, I think a, a good analogy would be I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and that's like, very easy to see when you're in comfort zone or not because you have like immediate feedback loops and are not very nice feedback loops. Uh, and you can you can tell like you're not paying attention, you're doing like mechanically and you don't have to be alert and you don't have to prepare. And I see that at work. If I do the same thing several times, uh, especially at the end, I'm not technical anymore or not supposed to be. And at the end of my technical career, I was like, yeah, I've done this like, created this system like 20 times, I'm getting bored, I just do the same thing. And I start feeling that I'm not engaged and I don't need to pay much attention to, to whatever the task is doing. It's like, now it's time to, to change. But at the same time, the opportunities don't come whenever you're ready to change. They come when they come. And if an opportunity comes, no matter how I am in the, in the cycle of getting bored or like getting ready, I would say yes if I think it's going to progress make me progress in my career because you never know when the next one will come. Why do you think that you you have to make this big leap when you're feeling that way? Because it sounds like it would be so obvious that you would feel it too far in your comfort zone, you'd be getting bored. So is is there a need to to rush that decision or to, to make that jump? Like. Why do we have to go all that way in order to make the decision? I don't think you need to go all that way. And it's more of a timing thing. So I not necessarily wait. Um, and it depends on the situation. It's like how big or how deep the crazy pool is. Some crazy pools are not that deep, they'll be shallow. So you can jump without thinking too much. Other are like, okay, jumping into the ocean. So now maybe I need to think a bit more about, about this one. And it, it really depends. It's, I don't think I have, I have a, I don't have a master plan of crazy pools to jump. I have an idea of where I want to be. And if I see the next crazy pool that will get me there, I'll jump into it whenever that happens. And sometimes it will be, yeah, I need to do the jump now because otherwise, I don't know, I'm not going to get anywhere. But I think for the last seven years, that has not happened. I always seen opportunities before I was ready. How do you work out which crazy pools are shallow and which crazy pools are deep? Probably not very well. <laughs> uh, I would say how far uh, out of my current comfort zone they are. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, let's say I'm, I'm managing a team and I see the opportunity to manage two teams. It's not that 
different depending on the team sizes that I can say, yeah, this is like, I haven't done it before, but I could, I could do it because it's just replicating what I did in one team, maybe like with some differences, depending on the people. Or the opportunity is to manage four or five teams. Then it's, okay, these are scale, like uh, order of magnitude difference. And this is going to be a much harder time. Um, I still do it. I, I'm just conscious and I try to get ready for that jump. So maybe I need to get floaties or whatever, and then I'll jump. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's more how far it is and how much experience I have in the domain. I want to try and see how far I can take this <laughs> metaphor. Um, what, what would you class as a floaty? That would be things like mentor, support groups, resources, podcasts, um, books. Those are the main ones I use for other people's maybe also videos and um, attending in-person meetings, which doesn't happen that often anymore, but I did in the past. That I would consider a floaty in the, well, there's two kinds of floaties, let's say. There's the floaty of preparing um, help, getting help, like what I said, mentors, support groups, resources, and then is the floaty that prepares you. So something I like to do is called, I don't like the name especially, but it's called a pre-mortem. And I would say, these are all the things that can go wrong. <laughs> what do I need to do to mitigate those risks? And that's another kind of floaty that gets me maybe the right kind of floaties, to say it that way. I can get this floaty, this floaty, this floaty, but this one will help me more because those are the risks that I see when going into that uh, crazy point. Do you have any other thought experiments like the pre-mortem that mm. help you make this decision? It's not and as for well. For anyone who hasn't yeah. done a pre-mortem, how, uh, how do you do it? So a pre-mortem, the Wikipedia entry is quite good, but what I do is, let's say that I'm going to do a project, a promotion, or something for myself. and I would make the goals, I would create three goals, for example. And then I will list all the things that I can think of that go, can go wrong. And for example, I'm trying to think of a pre-mortem of a situation that I'm, I'm experiencing now. Let's say that um, one thing that I manage several teams, one thing that could go wrong is I don't have enough time to do proper one-to-ones with everyone. And for me, one-to-ones are very important. So what am I going to do to like mitigate that risk? Another thing is I'm going to have too much change of con context switching because the teams work in different world streams. How I'm going to deal with that? Do I need to prepare? Do I need to like do templates for reporting? Do I need to do anything that will make assimilating different sources of information easier? And I do as many as I can think of, and sometimes the risks are not that imp You cannot do anything about them or are too big. And it's like, okay, if that happens, uh, then it's fine. Or like, you fail, I guess. It sounds like the way that you're trying to manage it is by more deeply understanding the risk. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. And making sure I have some mitigation measure before I go into it. What have been the biggest risks that you've faced? when you've moved from one job to another? For me, it's always, but it's like a very cliche answer. So 
for me, it's like risk of failure of not doing well the job. That's, that's my worry, um, but that's not very concrete. So in the last jobs, yeah, it would be risk of not doing a part of the job. I don't, or maybe, I don't know, screwing it up so much that I get fired in a month and then that's very hard to explain in your career. For example, that would be the biggest risk. I've never been that close. Like I don't go into that, like crazy polls are not that crazy uh, for me. I have still a bit of common sense when I, when I do these things. Uh, but I, yeah, it's a risk of failure. Like if I'm managing a team, let's say I take over a team. For me, people are very important. And the good thing about management is you impact more people and you can like benefit more people. If you do that wrong, you also negatively impact more people. So for me, the bigger risk would be I join an, a new job. I manage one, two, three teams. I screw up. Everyone is unhappy. Half of the teams leave. And my impact has been like magnified by everyone I touched. And for me, that's that's the biggest risk. What are the upsides that you're trying to optimize for? For me, it's two two dimensions, and you could call it like selfish dimension, which is about me, what I want, and then the non-selfish dimension. And I'm trying to optimize both. I think they correlate, but selfish dimension it's um, career progression, get where I want to be, and that may mean um, managing more teams, have more uh, more impact. Uh, I see the number of teams that I can impact as the impact I can make uh, and how many people I can benefit, which is the, the unselfish direction. So for me, it has upsides because where I want to go in my career and it's not good or bad, it's what I want to do. And you also get more money when you do these changes. So that's, People don't mention it, but it's kind of important. And then the people I can impact, because I've seen bad managers and bad leaders at different levels, not only like first level managers, but maybe lead of leads and lead of leads of leads. And to me, the ability to do a good job at that level and impact 20, 30, 40, 50 people, it's kind of what I'm looking for. And the learning that comes from it. So I like learning new things. And as you may have noticed, like getting out of the comfort zone, and that's always like pushing the comfort zone uh, further. Throughout your waiting, however you decide to wait each one of those, is there there an outcome that you're looking for or or a kind of singular thing that you're searching for or looking for? Well, and I, I could guess I could ask this question in, in another way, which is when's the moment at which those things combine and you know that you you that's what that, that's the decision you want to make? It, it's two uh, it's two dimensions. One would be again when the opportunity appears because that's going to define like the moment more than anything else, and then how far from ready I think I am. And or how bored I am in in my current position. I work for startups for the last like seven years, so the boring part doesn't happen that often. So it's been more is the opportunity there, and then I said yes because yeah, the the last companies I work for they move so fast that you don't really have time to 
to say, yeah, I'm bored now. I want to like prepare for the next thing. It's more of, I see it coming. I better get ready and like say yes before the opportunity passes. In previous jobs, in bigger companies, it was more of a push and asking for it. Uh, for example, the last big corporation I worked for, things moved quite slowly. So there I had to push my manager. I want to lead a team. I want to lead a team. I want to lead a team. And I did anything I wanted because I saw that I could have a bigger impact and benefit more people by going into management than just like solving technological problems. And in that sense, I had to ask for it. And I was not ready at all anyway, but I thought I was. And then I, I pushed for it much harder than in startups when I just said, yeah, I'm interested. And it happened straight away. Or it happened very quickly because of the needs and the nature of like fast moving companies versus big corporation where you have to ask for something 20 times before it happens. How do you go about understanding but what's the process that you go through in order to understand whether the crazy pool you're jumping in is shallow or deep like I, yeah. the, the thing i'd love to know is like what what are the tangible things that you're using in an interview or yeah. the research that you're doing on a company yeah. before you go in in order to try and get to the detail of it just the definition or the job definition which is usually quite vague but gives you um, a view of the company and how many of the skills required I'm, I'm already can do very well, or I think I can do very well. And how many are, okay, this bit, maybe 50% I can do well and 50% will be a challenge and, or 30% I can do pretty well and 20% is like I never done before. So that percentage, and I try to keep our sensible approach to not say, yeah, I cannot do anything, but I want to do it. But so I have to keep the mix of things that I can do well versus things that I can do decently and things that I will I will um, I'll be challenged by. The other part is the business and how much they're growing. So the scale, different scales bring different problems. And if you know that a company has done a massive round of funding and they're going to start hiring, you know, more or less the number of people they have at the moment, and you know, they're going to want to double or triple that. You know, that comes with certain challenges. So I would say, are those the challenges that I want to have now? Then I would go for, for it. If not, maybe you see they have not, well, they got funded like three years ago and they, kind of more mature is that brings another set of challenges are those the challenges I want now and talking that the pre-work pre-interview work during the interview I would see what two things more than two things the the things they ask which may mean those are the problems they're having or if they're not the problems they're having the interview process is not great in my opinion and then I, I need to I figure it out or try to figure out the problems they have in the culture they have and technical and people problems they have based on the questions they ask. And if those questions relate to real problems, which I sometimes ask in interviews, like, okay, is this something a problem that you have or is it not a problem? And if they nothing they ask, 
it's a problem for them. I wonder why they're asking those type of questions. How do you account for the kind of the the, the abstract nature of an interview? Because it's it's so f it is so far removed from the day to day work yeah. that we all go through. It can act as a certain proxy to give us a bit of an idea about what yeah. a company is like, but it is pretty well removed from what the actual day to day is like. How do you know whether like there are some bits that might yeah. be truthful, other bits that, yeah. that might not be? There are a few rules I follow. First is like you you not you don't know. Like it doesn't matter what you say, you're not going to know until you work there. So you, you have to assume that whatever your ideas maybe some are right, but you'll know when you join. Uh, the other one is uh, trying to uh, talk to the people and see how like they react and they answer the questions more than what they say is how they say it, if that makes sense. Trying to see their body language. Maybe you ask, how is it working there? And no one is going to say, it's not great to work here. <laughs> but you could see it in the body language, in the faces like, that they're not very comfortable answering that question or uh, they're trying to give like a standard answer and try to understand uh, in companies in the same industry with the same challenges more or less how they are but it's kind of everything is very proxy related it's not you don't have anything that's going to say yeah, I'm sure it is like that because I said you don't know. So, yeah, how the people react in the interview, what questions they ask, my own research about the industry and the company, and um, that's that's pretty much it. And I know it's not going to be very accurate anyway. So, hmm. that strikes me that a lot of the process that you're going through there relies on a certain level of self-understanding where you have grasped what it is that is important to you in order to ask the questions to understand what it's like to figure out if there's a match or not yeah is that level of self-understanding something that you proactively work on somehow and if so how i try to do it i I don't think that proactively. I think it comes naturally to me for some reason. I don't understand. The only thing that I did that for sure helps is I do mindfulness meditation. Not as often as I like, but I try to do it. And I did few courses and, and retreats to like get better at it. And well, not to get better at it, to, to do it, basically. Uh, and that's the only thing that I did that I'm sure it works for that. The other, other than that, don't have any practices that I just do it, which is not a great answer, I know. Maybe it comes, I, I did a lot of sports in, in my life, and most of, most of them, like the main ones when I was growing up, were cycling, running, and swimming, which is on your own, basically. So I think that gives me time to think and to reflect. Other sports that I did, they also have uh, very quick feedback loops, and especially jujitsu, as I mentioned. If you go, you're going to fight someone. You kind of have to be aware of of yourself before you go in to like kind of have a chance to win. So 
you have to be aware of yourself, of the other person, and be really aware of your strength, your weakness, how to do the strategy. So self-reflection and trying to understand the other person or the, the environment, probably it's from sport that I take it, but it's probably my personality too, so the both match. And I don't have any like extra exercises that would be great. You do this, you do that. I heard about uh, daily uh, decision logs or journals. I tried a few of them. I never stuck to any, but I kind of do it naturally. So I think that's why I've been lucky and I have not need that much extra uh, help on that part. Are there any other parts to your own personal life that you think play a big role in the way that you pursue your best work like what are the in the same way that sport helps you be that uh, more reflective self or or just by being on your own uh, what what other things in your personal life give you that inroad there is this uh this quote i really liked from well i'm going to botch the name but amos tversky uh, the one who was partnered with Daniel Kahneman, mm-hmm. who wrote fast, Think Fast and Slow. And they said that what you do, so the, the work that you do, it's independent, it's depending on environment and you can be a carpenter, you can do whatever, depending on where you're born and how you grew up, but how you do it is to your personality. So I think everything I do is and how I do it, it's related to my personality and how I like to learn and self-improvement. And that's very important because I do try to learn from everything I do. And I do it outside work, inside out work, like everywhere in sports, everything I, I do, I try to have like continuous feedback loops that make me improve as fast as I can. I mean, if I start not that doing it, whatever I do that well, but if I can improve, then it will get to a better point that if you start well, but don't improve. And the wanting to learn more and being empathetic with people, I think both are core parts of my personality and they help me in anything I do, really. And work is one of them, one of those things that I do, yeah. You have a really interesting background because you've looked for work both as an individual contributor, but mm. then also as a, a manager and a yeah. leader. What are the differences between the two? And what I mean by that, sorry, is is what's the difference between looking for work in yeah. those moments between the two? The types of challenges, I would say. When, when I was looking for work uh, as an individual contributor, I was more focused on which technology I'm going to work on. Uh, that's challenging, that's modern, that will help me. And I'm really excited about the technology and maybe not so much about the industry, uh, especially in the infrastructure side. We're a bit isolated from the product because we run the product and it doesn't matter if it's financial services or, or marketplace, it always runs like kind of the same way. And when I'm looking for a job as a manager, that's sort of important, but secondary. What I'm looking for is what's the organizational structure, what's the culture, what's the industry. I think that plays a bigger part 
as a manager than as an individual contributor because certain industries will have certain cultures, not 100%, but they correlate. And who I am going to work with, who's, who I'm going to report to, how's the org chart, if, which is not great, but at the end of the day, it matters. And how is that uh, going to help me like work with people? And then the technology is not that important anymore. Even though I have some uh, technologies I like more than others for companies because they imply certain things, but they're not, they're secondary now. Almost as if culture sounds more important to you now where before it didn't, but in some ways, wouldn't it be better if we could, you could have both in those circumstances? Yeah. Like, is, is it that you would, I don't know how I'm trying to ask, ask this question really, but just it's almost like seems like they're it's in a in some way there's a priority order to it, yeah. which is when you're more junior, naturally you want to make sure that you're working with the right technologies. But as you're more senior, it makes a whole lot of sense that you'd want the cultural. But then at the same time, it's like, well, it'd be great if you could almost have both from the beginning in some way. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just what you said, priorities. So it doesn't mean that I would have gone to a court culture I didn't like. Mm. It means that I was looking for technology first and culture that I could work in. Now it could be the other way around. It could be like culture that it matches and technology that I can work with, if that makes sense. I'd love to dive into what happened when you first went into management for the first time it sounds like you had to um ask for it in that larger company uh yeah. what what why did you have to ask for it in the larger company in and and why did you ask for it instead of leaving that larger company and and going somewhere else in larger companies i feel you have to ask for anything you want to do that's not specific in your role and your definition some things I did not ask for, which were more technical. I just did them, did them. But to manage people there, you need a process, you need approval, you need, um, there may be more candidates. So you need to ask for it more because things also don't happen fast. So maybe you ask your manager and they forget or they get pulled into other direction or something. So. You keep asking until it happens. At least that's that's why I, why I did it. And it was the easy path. What I wanted, if you go into management to your company, it's easier to get a management job later than be hired as a first manager in another company. So that was the main reasoning. So it was much easier for me to go into management inside the same company, even though it was a bit painful and it took some time. But I don't think I could have gotten a job as a manager, as a first-time manager in another place. I think that step is the gap is quite is bigger. Did it feel like jumping in the crazy pool when you made that internal move? I think I was too naive, <laughs> and it didn't. But it should have. What do you mean by that? Um, I thought it was like ah, oh, this this is easy. I've seen all this what <laughs> these managers do. Um, I don't think I had like great examples, so that's why it looked easy. And then, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's like I'll have some one-to-ones, whatever that means, and like that—that's enough. And was not like that. Um, 
they only it was also a smaller team, so it was three people only. So I was like, okay, it's only I, I've been working with them. They respect me as an engineer, so I have good relationships. Um, this management thing doesn't seem too difficult, uh, and yeah, it doesn't seem that that crazy pull jump uh, at the time. How has reading helped you decide where to work? That changed quite a lot from me. More reading about management books. Those those have changed more where I decide because now I can I know what you call like best best practices or the, from the industry of management engineers, and now I look for places that share those values or those practices. I can ask about those during the interviews, and I have some expectations of what good management it is and good culture and good organization. And as much as I can, I try to get that out of the interviews. But reading management books has been like, I don't know, I, I read quite a lot. So it's kind of pretty much everything I do it has some component of having read about it. And definitely management or well, reading management books has helped me think about what I want in a company from the engineering management. As you spoke earlier about uh, the jump into the pool yeah. it uh, it struck me that maybe there was a part to that where if you make that decision quickly yeah. you avoid having to deal too face on with imposter syndrome you you make the call yeah. you go through it you can kind of ignore the doubts that are happening in your mind and just go with it. Is there an element of truth to that? I think imposter syndrome kicks in later. So it can, kicks in when you actually start doing the job and you're like, oh, maybe I should, should have thought about this a bit, twice, a bit more before saying yes. But that's what I like. And it's risky, but what I like is I'm already in that position, so I don't want to back off. And I kind of give, gave my word that I'll do this work and I'll try to do it the best as I can. So it's a bit too late and imposter syndrome kicks in, but well, it's a bit too late to imposter syndrome. So you have to deal with it in the situation. If, he, if you wait too much to, to decide, maybe it kicks in after and uh, sorry before, and you cannot. Yeah, you won't decide or say oh, I'm not going to be good enough for this role or for this position or this challenge. So maybe a better way of thinking about it is, rather than in that moment you're making the faster jump to get over imposter syndrome, you're 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 making the faster jump to just kind of quell the kind of the the inner voices in your mind who might question whether this decision is the right one to make. Yeah. That's that's probably, I like to think more about it being that I put myself in the environment that will get me to the, to the next step. And mm. I don't have that, yeah, this inner voices is not very strong with me. I like sometimes mm. I have them, but it's not that I'm constantly thinking, oh, I'm not going to be good on this, like, or anything like that. Mm. I, thankfully, I don't have that, that, that problem. So it's more of before I, not do it i'll say yes and then yeah it's too late to say mm. no after and is that because you think that you as an individual are more susceptible to the environment that you're you're in so therefore if you can latch yourself 
onto an up-and-coming environment, your natural character will flourish there? Or is it that you think that just generally we should all try and be in that right environment to to improve and it doesn't matter how well our own character is suited to that? I think the environment definitely helps. And if you're in the right environment, you will flourish faster than if you're not. And it depends on you. Maybe you can still flourish in the wrong environment, but it will be not as much as in the right environment. For me, I think, well, yeah, like, you know, in the wrong environment is quite hard. Uh, One example would be like last big corporation I worked for. It was very hard to do anything especially at the end when it was clear that my team was being dismantled and I was the last one and I was not even getting new work uh, assigned to me. And I'm like, okay, it seems that I don't have anything to do. And in that environment would have been really, really hard for me to advance, even though I tried like outside the war, you can keep reading and all that, but it's an uphill battle, like very uphill. And some people may still like push a bit, some people a bit less. Uh, but definitely, if you're keen on improving and you have the right environment, it's like much, much better. Uh, mm. You progress much, much faster. My last question is about um, how about your motivations and yeah. where they come from. I think we are all uh, so deeply driven by um, our childhood, but also our parents and perhaps the work that they uh had in mind for us uh or inadvertently or or directly um were you in any way uh where do your motivations stem from these uh for, from two one is the desire to uh, learn and try new new things and the other one is to help people and i think engineering is really good for both because it's always changing, so you have to learn you like it or not. And if you go into management or even if you're an individual contributor, you still can help people because you can make things better tools, easier to use services, and improve people's life. Or you're in a company that's doing some health tech or like, I don't know. There's like a lot of. It's not the only field, of course, but I think it combines both pretty well. And I think those are my motivation. I could have landed in any other like environment. Um, at first, uh, I wanted to do like science. I started to see science and I wanted to uh, study oceanography and investigate there, which was more on the learning side. Uh, but then I realized computers also allow you to learn quite a lot, quite often, and you can't stop. So I changed. And... Um, I think those are the two core uh, things that drive me or like the career and any career I would do, they would still apply. I've loved learning about <laughs> your your own journey. Um, thanks so much for sharing it and being so uh, aware of how your, um, that jump into the crazy pool makes such a profound difference. Um, that's amazing. Thank you. And uh, can I tell you why, where it comes from? <laughs> I think mm. that, so when I met my, my wife, we started dating and we moved in the first week that we started dating. So she said, oh, let's jump into the crazy pool and see what happens. 
And then since then, it was like, that was the first crazy jump into the pool that I did. And it worked the out. The craziest. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for, for your time, for inviting me. It's been fun. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.